on a great series, and uh, a great series on the Red Letter Challenge, and, and uh, <clears throat> I want to get back to the beginning, Mark, just bring me all back, there you go, rear, look at this, three, two, one, boom, the Red Letter Challenge, there it is. Okay, notice it, it doesn't say the Red Letter Devotion. There's no, there's no red letter devotion on this. This isn't a 40 days of devotions. This is 40 days of daily challenge. And I want you to approach this to just, hey, Lord, every day, stretch me more broad in an area of growth to become more like Jesus. I'm going to put a sign in my gym. I've been wanting to do it, paint a sign. And it says this, if you're looking forward to your workout, you're not training hard enough. Okay, well, the same is true when you go and you have your private time with Jesus. If you just want, I want a good scripture just to tell all my friends and post it on Instagram, okay, that's nice. But you really want to kind of go in there, Jesus, man, don't, don't let up. Don't pull any punches. Come on, stretch me, grow me to what you would be pleased with. Come on, we want to be sore after our sessions with Jesus. We want to stretch ourselves. We want to talk about where we fall short, but where we're going to move forward in, in areas of our life. And, and I'm excited about this series because it's very confronting, and I... I like being confronted. So today I'm going to talk to you about what does it mean to live a giving lifestyle? What does it mean to live a giving lifestyle? Now we've talked about being, what it is to be like Jesus. We've talked about forgiving. That was a good one. How many people know that we do have issues with bitterness? Okay, I was the only one who voted on that. We do have issues with bitterness that we get upset and we rehearse and we replay the record and I'm surprised how many little resentments I got in my heart, and that forgiving one was extremely challenging to me. And then, of course, last week, we, we dealt with serving, and, and boy, did Isaac kind of nail that, uh, us with that, that we're here to serve. You know, Jesus said this, I did not come as one to be served. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Now, there's a little model there. Okay, I want to be like Jesus. That means I don't come to be served, I come to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. You know, I preach at a lot of leadership conferences, especially in, in South America, in the, in the Latino culture. And a lot of times in Latino culture, I joke with my brothers and I joke with our Latinos here at the church. They got this thing, this syndrome called el hombre de Dios, okay, the man of God. And they actually have this worship of leaders and they're abusive in their power. So when I go down there and preach, I confront them on that. I don't take that as a cultural thing. But I do a lot of other things. I purposely stand in the back of the line on all things. I do everything opposite they want me to do, just so I can start modeling that we're here to serve. We're here to be servants. I think I told you the story of Jacobo Mandrango in Cuernavaca, one of the great pastors of Mexico, is a servant of servants. And he models this heart. And I was just starting this church back in 1998, and uh, we were, I, I, they had me come down and speak because I was still fresh. I was still kind of a hot item when it came to youth ministry. The problem with youth ministry, you're only a hot item for a while. But, uh, and they wanted me to kind of teach on youth ministry in the church. And I, I'm eating lunch, and there's about 500 pastors outside in this plaza outside the sanctuary. And they had all these guys with T-shirts on from a drug rehab program serving us, you know, like they were part of their discipleship, you know, process. And and, uh, of course, I love Mexican food. You know, Pascual and Maggie can tell you that. You, I can out eat any Mexican with tacos or hot salsa. Okay, I'll go toe-to-toe -to -toe with any Mexican on this. But, uh, but uh, you know, they asked me, do you want more? Jacobo did. Do you want more? And I said, yes, I would love some more food. In those days, I didn't care about calorie counting. And, uh, 
you know, he kind of, I thought he was going to snap his fingers, bring one of the guys with T-shirts and take my plate, but he took my plate. He stood in line with my messy plate for about five, ten minutes. He had a church of 5,000 people. Okay, I was a youth pastor of a church plant of about 150 people. He got my food, and he brought it over to me, and he laid it at my table. And I, I thought it was like holy, like the, like the water of Bethlehem. The three guys went and got the water out of the well for David, you know. I wanted to pour the food on the ground. It was like too sacred to eat. But, but you know, we're here to be servants, amen? amen? And today we're going to talk about giving. And I, I'm excited about this. Now, we don't like talking about giving. We don't like talking about it because we think we're asking too much of people. And, and I'm not just talking about giving of money today. I will be talking a lot about money, but I'm also talking about other aspects of giving. We're to live a giving lifestyle. It, it, it is the heart of God. God so loved the world that he did what? He Gave. Okay, so the very heart of one of the most quoted New Testament scriptures has the, has the principle of giving in it. Not being stingy, not being a miser, but being a radical giver of more than even just your money. We're to be givers. Now, here's, here's our text. If we want to be like Jesus, let's go right out of the chute and talk about what Jesus is like. Notice what Paul said. He's talking to people he's collecting an offering from to take to the suffering saints in Jerusalem who are suffering famine and persecution because they were followers of Jesus, Jewish followers. And he, and he said this as they were taking their offering. I want you to remember this, he said. I want you to model this. I want you to reflect upon this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he were rich, and I want you to just kind of, we don't think about Jesus that he was rich, but he was before he became poor. He didn't become poor because of bad financial decisions or he got demoted. He became poor because he decided to give. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Why? So that you, by his poverty, he became impoverished, might become rich. Come on, he just didn't give an arm. He just didn't give us an hour. I'll give you an hour of my time. He just didn't give a few denarii, which was the money, you know, exchange of that day. He gave everything. He gave up his wealth, his authority, his honor, his reputation, his divine abilities, his, what people thought about him, his reputation. He gave up his rights, the right to own a home. He says, I have nowhere to lay my head. The right to wealth. I got nothing. You want to follow me? I got nothing. These women back here, they've been supplying some food for our ministry. Come on, he gave up his right to marry. He gave up food at times. He gave up sleep. He had to pray all night long. He eventually gave up his life. Now, I want to be like Jesus. Do you? Do I? It, it sounds cool. I want to be like Jesus. Well, there's our verse. If we just had that verse, we just taught on that verse, I think it would mess us up. Let's go on with Jesus here. He gets into the, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem the last week of his life. He goes into the temple. He does the cleansing. But he comes back every day, and he's sitting in the temple, and, he, and he's watching. He's watching everybody give. He's watching everybody give. Jesus watches us give. Yeah, he, he watches us give. I don't care if you give on the realm or... Go online or bring a check into the church or drop one in the box back there. He watches you give. He's watching. Let's just see what's involved in this. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. 
Many rich people came in and put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. I didn't study out what a penny could buy, but it wasn't much. Barely anything within a day's time. And he called his disciples to him. He was like, boys, come here. I want you to notice something. Here, huddle up. Huddle up! I want you to, I want you to see this woman right here. And he says, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put everything she had and all she had to live on. Now, what we don't see in this story is what happened to this widow as a result of that. But I can guarantee you that she was blessed. I guarantee you that she experienced a dimension of the miraculous intervention of God because of what she did. Now, here's the point to the story. Jesus is concerned with how much sacrifice is involved in our giving. In every area of giving, not just in what you give in a church offering, in every area, he's concerned if we're, if we're sacrificing things. I remember one time, I didn't share the story in the other services, but we always want to get reward or recognition when we give. And I was leading a youth tour of about 35, 40 teens in my youth group. We were on like a 14-day, 12-day tour all the way to L.A. and back. And we were about day eight, nine, and the kids, all their clothes were dirty. And they were just, their morale was low and it was bad. And so I said, everybody, I grabbed, I bought plastic bags, you know, like these 20-gallon ones, and everyone throw your dirty laundry in a bag and, and give it to me, put your name on the bag. And so it was about 30, 40 loads of laundry. They went to bed, and I went to the local laundromat in Long Beach, and I stayed up all night, and I washed all their clothes. And uh, it was in their bag ready for them when they got up. And I was thinking, you know, I had this imagination, you know, Appreciation time at the end of the tour. I have to appreciate, you know, Pastor Bob, you know, he did the laundry for us. No, no one ever, no one ever gave me that appreciation. In fact, no one even really knew that I had done anything. I'm just sharing the story today for the first time because I think I'm past the carnal, you know, disappointment <laughs> that I didn't get recognized after doing all those things. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of waiting for my little affirmation, like the cool guy that loves us, but Never got it. But God watches, doesn't he? God keeps the records, doesn't he? He watches this lady. And he, there has to be a little sacrifice in what we give. You know, I could give a $1,500 check to the church and, and make, well, wow, that's a pretty big offering. And, you know, but maybe it comes out of a $10,000 monthly income. Well, you still got $8,500 left. Yeah, I do. Maybe, maybe though I, I make two thousand a month, but man, I gave two hundred and fifty dollars, maybe to the church. Maybe uh, part of that was given to needy people, other people, friends you're trying to sustain. The, but the issue is, you only have seventeen fifty left, and you're barely making ends meet. And Jesus is looking at that, and he's 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 measuring out the pain, the sacrifice, the dedication, the faith, the stress. Now, he's not going to be unfaithful to us, okay? But he puts us in as he's measuring our heart at that point. He, would, he measured the heart of the people giving in the temple. We've got to reconcile that. I remember one time I was going to Dick Iverson, my pastor, and they didn't pay me much when I was a youth pastor. It was, some people live from check to check. I, I lived from check to about the last week of begging, okay? 
Okay, and then we got to check, and then we check, and then a little begging, and then check. And finally, after about four or five years, I had this father-son talk with them, and I, I built a great youth ministry. I've been faithful in the church, and I, I said, you know, Brother Dick is what we called uh, Dick Iverson. I said, you know, I'm just got to tell you where we are financially. I need help. Can we work something out? Is there something in the budget? Just a little raise. You know, we haven't had a raise in a long time. A lot of building programs. <laughs> no raise. And uh, just kind of hurting. And I was going to fit. He was going to come next to me on the couch and say, Bob, put his arm around me. Thank you so much for what you're doing. And we love you. And uh, we appreciate what you do. We're going to do something. That's what I was expecting. This is what I got. He kind of like shook his head. Had this kind of like corner mouth frown. Like, Bob, I, I don't. I don't get it. You know, sometimes God takes a young guy like you and just puts you under a yoke of financial scarcity. Oh, so now we're blaming God. Okay, you, you sign the paychecks. And he does that so when he blesses him later on, you'll, he'll know where his money comes from. And that was it. God be with you. Now here's the issue. He was absolutely right. I did learn that lesson. God did come through. Those aren't the days I live in now. But the issue is, is that sometimes God tests your heart when you're in places of scarcity just to see where your dedication is, your loyalty, your love, your priorities. And so Jesus said, these guys are giving. Yeah, it's altering a little bit of their lifestyle, but, but not too much. They got a lot left over. That woman gave it all. And then, of course, here's the, the great, great sermon or the great story of the rich young ruler coming to Jesus. I want eternal life. And Jesus says to him, if, if you'd be perfect or complete, you go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, sorrowful because he had great possessions. He, in his case, and I'll say in his case, he wanted to follow Jesus and still be captivated by money. And I think we got to be careful just pointing our finger at this, this rich young ruler that that can happen to us, that we want to follow Jesus and we still want to be captivated by money. Now the question is, did Jesus really ask him to give everything to the poor? Is that really what Jesus did? Yeah, that's what Jesus did. He still asked people today to do that in different degrees in different ways. I've been embarrassing Isaac all morning. You know, he came about a year and a half ago, became part of our staff. But to do that, he had to make a choice. He didn't write a check to the church. He just took 50% less pay to serve the church and to adjust his whole lifestyle behind the sacrifice gift that he and Noel did. He's not alone. I can tell people in this church the sacrifices they've made is unbelievable sacrifices. And so this is not just the rich young ruler. This comes to all of us all the time. Sue and I gave up, I gave up a five-year teaching career, 10-year. You know, I probably was making equivalent to about $55,000 in, today, in today's economy, you know. It wasn't much, but we're kind of, we, we, we're middle class. I went from middle class to welfare for about eight years to, so to prepare to what I'm doing here now. Sometimes you just have to make these sacrificial gifts. It can be a lot of different ways what Jesus asks you to do. You know, you, you, the, the gifts went off to Kyrgyzstan and, and uh, you know, here a couple of days ago. Back in, they didn't go back to the Riviera. They went back into a COVID-saturated country and they, and they went to a, a place that is, just haven't had a whole lot of heat and it's extremely cold and nothing works. 
The water is beautiful. You can see the water that you're drinking. It's not clear. It's wonderful. And then Jesus gives us this strong warning. And he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? Because these people had provisions and virtue and gifts and time. But notice what they neglected. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then you'll answer them because they make up all the excuses. When, when were you? When were you? When were you? And as you did it to one of these least of these, you did it for me. Now you say, well, Bob, there's a lot of people in prison right now. Bob, there's a lot of people who are thirsty and underfed and underdressed and and am I responsible for all of them? No, no, absolutely you're not. You can't take that on yourself. Neither can I. I'll drive you nuts. But we are responsible as followers of Jesus for the, for the sufferings of, of people around the world. All of us are. I'm not telling you how you fulfill that, but we all bear a responsibility. But in this case, these people were within their reach, and these people were within their awareness. They was in their locale that they were not doing that. And Jesus says there were some extreme consequences as a result of turning my ear to being deaf to the cry of those around me in great need. Now why, why are these types of sermons so challenging? Well, the first is this. It's perceived as self-serving. I know what Bob's doing. He's wanting to get money you know, for the church. Now actually our church is really solid right now to be truthful with you. And I'm thanking you and a great appreciation for that taking place. So this is not what's driving this. And I'm not really talking about giving to the church per se. I'm dealing with a whole lifestyle of giving. Second is it makes everyone uncomfortable because why? Because it's challenging us in our spiritual relationship with money. And our money has something to do with our spiritual relationship. And as I said, this is the red letter challenge. I want to make you uncomfortable today. I want to make myself uncomfortable. This sermon has made me uncomfortable. I'm looking at changes and even in my own life from this sermon. That's the way it should be. I should be getting convicted by what I preach about. And it appears to be extremely confusing, too, the teachings of Jesus. Like, did he really say give all and did you do not do that? And if you don't visit the guy in prison or clothe that person, you know, you'll be a goat in the day of judgment and depart from me, you worker of iniquity and the outer darkness. Is that really, you know, Jesus really mean that? Yes. <laughs> he really does. Well, how extreme are the teachings of Jesus on giving? Well, I think it's this extreme. It's extreme enough to alter your whole lifestyle if you possess Jesus as your king. Now, you can possess Jesus, proclaim Jesus as king, but you can possess him as your king. I need you to be the king. And that doesn't mean that we're, we're always unselfish and we're not dealing with things in our life, but I want him to rule me. And if I want him to rule me, then I got to deal with this thing called giving. I absolutely have to deal with it in my life. I don't care if you bring home 100 bucks a month, or 100000 a month. You're going to have to deal with this thing called giving in your life. I don't care if you got an hour a week to spare or 10 hours. you got to deal with this thing called giving. It will alter your lifestyle. Now, what is it about money 
that we have to choose between Jesus and money because you might be asking, well, he just said that to the rich young ruler. That guy had a problem with money. But you know what? There's a, there's a verse that Jesus addresses all of us, and it was in a sermon that wasn't given to a rich young ruler. It was really to a crowd of poor people, and the sermon was called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus deals with this relationship between money and God. And it's in Matthew 6, 24. And Jesus says this, No one, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. Well, that's right, you can't have any idols in your heart. Or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. So we know that. 100% devotion to Jesus. Nothing takes equality with him. Nothing shares that passion with him. But notice how he defines it now. You cannot serve God and money. This is the issue. This is what I'm talking about. Well, what is it about money that would grab my heart so much? Well, the first, it gives me a sense of security. I got a lot of money. Tornado comes through financially. We survive. It's kind of the Dave Ramsey, you know, Financial Peace University. I believe in that. I believe in savings account. Go to the ant, you sluggard, Proverbs tells us. He stores up in the winter. Okay, I understand those things. But, but there's one thing to have a savings account or investments. Another thing that that's my total confidence brings me security. That's my security. Money gives me a sense of significance. Hate to say that, but money can do that. You know, that I'm esteemed and honored. People look at me as successful. They look up to me. I remember going to a bank one time after a time of scarcity, and we were signing some documents, and some money would come to us, and it was kind of, you know, it was kind of a neat thing. And, you know, they had an appointment. I remember the bank manager, you know, please, uh, can we clear this area for Mr. and Mrs. McGregor? That's right. Mr. and Mrs. McGregor's here. Clear. You can just feel your little pride, you know. We're people with money. <laughs> we are significant. And I wasn't significant before. I just became significant. <laughs> no. It gives you that false sense of significance. Third thing it does, it gives me power. I don't care if you're an employer or you got people you're helping. You can start getting bossy with them. I got a right to control you. Now, sure, if I'm giving you some money, I got some stipulations, yeah. But I still got to treat the people that I help as an equal, not demean them. I've had people, 45 people have lived with us. And it's easy. All of a sudden, you become the master. They're the slave. Hey, do this. Hey, I'm paying your rent, your utilities, your food. Okay, and, and I, I start treating them not as an equal, but as inferior and destroy their dignity. Don't treat them as an equal. That's why was people with wealth sometimes when we're doing outreach as a needy, well, just write a check. I don't want you to write a check. I'd rather have your body down there getting dirty because it's going to change your heart. Money buys me pleasure, let's face it. That's what money does, it buys me pleasure. Trips, rich food, spacious houses. Come on, it buys me these things. Not that you can't have rich food or a spacious house or do a trip, but it buys pleasure. And if you don't kind of control it, you just want more and more discontented pleasure all the time. I think we have to ask ourselves, what limits does God want to put on each of our individual lives? What could we have some limits where others may 
and I may not? That's a great question. I think everyone should ask that. We shouldn't say, Lord, how much of my money do you, do you want? That's a wrong question. Lord, how much of your money can I keep? That's a better question. My relationship with money as a follower of Jesus actually reveals my relationship with Jesus. It really reveals why I'm living for God, whether I'm living for God, whether I'm living for myself or I'm living for others. And uh, I have to, those questions are revealed in how I relate to money and my time and my giftings. Four areas, let's bring this home and we'll wrap this service up. Four areas where I'm called to give as a Christian. The first is this, I'm called I'm to give my ministry gifts to the people. And the Bible says very clear in, uh, in uh, 2 Peter, excuse me, 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift. That's a Holy Ghost gift like 1 Corinthians 12, prophecy, faith, miracles. It's a natural gift, resources, talents, abilities, aptitude. You're to use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. The gifts God deposits in you are not for you. Therefore, the church, for people, for the people God's trying to reach, that's what has been, that gift has been given for. It's not, you know, it's not for you to kind of, you know, put it in a closet and bring it out when it's convenient. You're, you're not, you're going to answer for that. It's not about your convenience. It's about what he wants to do, when he wants to do it. And I find that God asks me to do a lot of things when it's the bad time to ask me to do those things. Why now? Why do they have to be sick now? Why do they need somebody to visit them now? Why do they have to backslide now? Why did he have to throw that plate at his wife right now? Why do I have to get up and drive over to that house and get in the middle of this thing? Why? Why? Bad timing. Remember the, one of the worst things that ever happened in this church. I, was, I got. I found out. I was just. I, I was thinking, Sue's at women to women. I mean, I got nothing on my schedule. I made myself like a bunch of cookies and milk, and I was. Gonna, I was getting ready to watch a John Wayne Western. How he not watched it in years. And here I am, Rio something. You know. Ian Dean Martin is always the drunk. And, uh, and here it, it's going to be an evening of just Western flesh. And I get a text. Like, it was like May Day. And one of the, one of the most major crises took place in the church. Not convenient. Not convenient. That's the way it is. I'm going to use my time and resources to be in the needs of God's people. We all know Romans 12, 1, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. But the rest of Romans 12 is dealing specifically what that life of sacrifice is. And one of those is this, contribute to the needs of the saints, bottom of the verse here, and seek to show hospitality. Now that takes money, that takes virtue, that takes patience, that is draining, just the love is draining. You have people come visit you and they don't leave. You just want to stop by. Hey, wonderful. Four hours later. Oh, wow. Don't you have to get up at 5 a.m.? I only need four hours sleep. I need more than that. 
lot of virtue, a lot of time. But that's what we're supposed to be given. We give to provide for the financial needs of the local church. Or people say, you know, I, I tithe 5% of the church. I'm encouraged to raise That's not a tithe. Tithe can only be one thing or one thing like one to one tenth. It can't be. It's not, a, it's not a metaphorical expression that has a lot of things to be applied to. It means 10%. Now you can say I give 5% of the church back to taxes. If you say I give a tenth and it's only 5%, that's like saying I'm giving 5% so I give 10% to the church. No, you give 5%, you give 5%. Okay. Now, Jesus in the red letters, that means in the words that we know that Jesus spoke before him, that was the Pharisees. We have one verse where Jesus himself talks about tithing. He's addressing the Pharisees and Sadducees because they lack compassion. He says, You're tithing on everything, like even, you know, even your herbs, you're tithing. But what he says, he says, I want you to show mercy and love to those in need and not neglect this. In other words, he endorsed tithing. He said, well, that's under the law. Well, why do you take scissors on what things Jesus says are for another dispensation or for me? Because I can really pick and choose and live a great life. But there are New Testament scriptures that does address this. Like Galatians 6, and everyone hops over. They think it's all about sowing in the flesh and sowing in the spirit. But right in the middle of that, verse 6, Galatians, it says this. But the one who has taught the word can share all good things with the one who teaches. You know, the next verse, it says, those who sow in the flesh shall reap the resurrection. So in verse 7, you can connect with verse 6. Sowing in the flesh is what we back to money. We know this one quite well. If the elders would rule well, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not puzzle an ox and treads out the grain. The laborer deserves his wages. Wrestle with one, share all good things with those who teach you the word. That means if you can buy a car, they should be able to buy a car. If you can buy a house, they should share in that and be able to buy a house. Given if they're working well, laboring well, serving well, and being a responsible leader in the house of God, they should be able to share, maybe not as much as you, but share in those good things. But here, Paul says, don't, well, they're laboring out to get the word of God and caring for you, being in the hospital and praying with you through tough seasons and processing with you the will of God, and they're doing it for hours. Do not put a strain of life on them. Do not stress them. Do not weaken them. Don't make their wife bitter. Don't make their children resent the ministry of the gospel. Don't give them an early death as they left with them with so much stress they died down. Don't give the poor and suffering. Proverbs says this. Whoever closes his ear to cry of the poor. Self allowed. I ask myself a question Is there a connection between people not getting hurt? My heart hardens and deafens and cries. Say, God, answer that question. 
It's interesting. Philip and Stephen had mighty miracle ministries. They didn't start off like that. They started off ministering in the wilderness. Church, radical church, God. 